All right, today on the podcast, we have David Kim back again. He is the director of Contend Ministries out in Colorado Springs. David, thanks so much for joining us again. We're going to talk about Asian American racism, our favorite topic. Seems like these days we are talking a lot about this, man. Well, I I just want to ask straight up, is this Atlanta shooting, is this an example of rising Asian American racism in the nation? Yeah, that's a great question. I've actually been thinking about that, and I know there's quite a bit of conversation around it. Um, I think, you know, you have one angle that's clearly this is Asian American racism. You have the, I would say, a modified version of that that says uh, something along the lines. I'm sure you've heard it is. Uh, uh, even if the shooter was not saying it's racism, uh, these are women who've been impacted by racism uh, uh, by having to work these kinds of jobs and things like that uh, in America. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, more of the camp that's saying, you know, this, you know, and then you have uh, that's not racism. And then you have, I think, in my opinions, you know, uh, misspoken words by the police chief uh, 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 that, you know, this guy was just having a bad day. I, I think comments like that has created the, I think, has stirred the pot uh, for this conversation. I think um, when when I'm looking at this, um, you know, I think what I'm recognizing is that, uh, first of all, I think there's been racism against Asian Americans for a very long time, not just yeah, this last year, mm-hmm. right, with COVID. Um, I think there's been racism towards Asians. Uh, 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 I'm sure... You know, people you know have experienced it. I think you just had a podcast about that. I've experienced it. And it's not exclusively um, uh, fitting the narrative, right? Uh, it's not, you know, our experiences over the decades uh, as Asian Americans with racism has not been uh, uh, just from, you know, uh, white men or however the narrative is today, um, but racism nonetheless. So, you know, I, I don't think that. Um, I think there's more reporting. I think that's what the statistics show. But I think there's been a consistent um, uh, 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 targeting uh, of Asians, uh, Asian Americans. Uh, maybe it's not, you know, carte blanche racist, um, but, you know, on the vulnerable uh, who are elderly, for example, or whatever the case. But there's certainly now a rising uh, furor, I think, uh, indignation uh, among a lot of people, a lot of voices. And I think Atlanta was that trigger point, you know, um, uh, uh, for uh, uh, some, maybe some of these conversations that have been taking place, you know, for the last year and, and beyond that uh, to kind of explode. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm saying that purely from a observatory fact. Um, I think for me personally, uh, uh, this to me seems like one of those moments um uh, 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 that that has captured the imagination uh, of the nation, um, and like some of the other things that you and I have talked about in the past, uh, different racial incidents that have become highlighted. Uh, I think there is a level uh, that we have to pay attention to, uh, a level of uh, uh, of an agenda, uh, political. Uh, uh, ideological that is is the undercurrent to the conversation right now, and we can't ignore that as as Asian Americans or as believers. Uh, um, that there there is a there is something being set in motion. That I would say most people who are just you know responding you know uh, emotionally or naturally uh, are not aware of, and I think we have to be aware of it. Right. Yeah. So as 
you know, Asian American Christian leaders, what yep. is what's the right response to you know, it, it's hard to say here, to this narrative of rising Asian American racism, whether or not the Atlanta shooting is a prime example of that or not, there is this narrative out there now, and a lot of people believe it. They believe racism against Asian Americans is rising. So I want to ask, as a leader in this community, um, from a Christian perspective, what should be our response? Right. Yeah. And I think I've been asking myself that same question. You know, uh, obviously, you know, we're part of a, uh, a ministry that's focused on prayer. And, and I think, you know, the reflex of the church to any crisis um, should always be prayer. I think there's something more significant happening right now and that God's highlighting or could be highlighting. And I shared about this before. Uh, I think it was on Facebook. Um, but there there is a reality, a kingdom reality. And we have to understand this as, as believers uh, uh, that... Um, Testing, uh, even corporate testing uh, for an entire people group, uh, it serves a purpose in God. Um, and that our response to that testing determines how we move forward uh, uh, as a people, as a nation, as an ethnic group, you know, uh, as a region or whatever it might be. And I, and I wrote about a year ago when, you know, when the first acts of racism against uh, Asian Americans was beginning in, in coronavirus. Um, at the time, the, the the narrative that's taking place today actually wasn't wasn't part of that right that really became the the uh, the the social justice narrative that we understand today uh, really took you know took off in May uh, in June of, of, of last year but right around February and March and April you know there were you know these uh, hate crimes that were being reported and Asian Americans being targeted and I had written that you know uh, uh, if we respond rightly, Right. If if we can endure this testing and understand that that how we respond in terms of are we going to get bitter, uh, are we or are we going to forgive, are we going to uh, overcome in a way that's consistent with kingdom principles, are we going to return to our inheritance? Um, it I feel like this is a moment that that Asian the Asian American voice is going to be highlighted. I think probably like never before. And it, same thing happened with you know the uh, uh, the African American voice of, of last year. And I think if there is righteous prophetic voices that can lead us into the promised land, so to speak, I actually believe that there's spiritual authority and promotion uh, that's necessary to fulfill the call of God on Asian Americans, the you know 1.5 gen, second gen Asian Americans uh, uh, who've grown up in this tension. We can, if we pass that test, I actually think we're going to unlock a greater degree of of authority and spiritual promotion. Um, and I think as leaders, this is something that we have to see beyond the moment and the zeitgeist and 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 understand what could God be doing here. Yes, he's highlighting, you know, he might be highlighting historic injustices, current injustices, current incidents, diff- and, and there might be different interpretations of those, but he might be highlighting those things, but it all leads to where are we going to move forward um, as, as a people group? And, and I think, you know, real prophetic voices have to arise. They're saying this is, this path is hard. It's narrow, it's low, but if we can break through here, I think we can unlock something for a whole generation instead of entrapping future generations in cycles of bitterness and resentment. That would actually, we see in scripture, that's what happened to the Israelites. It actually kept that generation from entering to the promised land uh, and they had to wander in the wilderness. And I actually believe that right now that we can actually enter into the promised land, a greater level of 
uh, of destiny for our people group. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You're talking about this idea of in the wilderness, the Israelites are grumbling, right, are complaining. Right. And there's the sense in which, you know, they're, they're, they've just experienced this incredible deliverance. All of these incredible miracles they've seen, the Red Sea was parted before them. But they don't get to go directly into the promised land, right? They're in the wilderness, and it's hard, right? It's hard. Yes. And what's happening is they're being tested in this period. They're being tested. So that's what I'm, I'm hearing from you, and, and, I, and I think I largely agree with this idea, right? Yeah. What is our response in the wilderness? David, if you could, what if you had to summarize, distill that prophetic message, what's the right prophetic message and what's the wrong prophetic message? Can we can we caricature these messages or make them as stark as possible to differentiate as as well as you can understand it? What's the right message? What's the wrong message? Right. Um, and uh, just speaking from the heart now, I, I think I think the right message. I mean, if we just go to the Bible, is it's faith, um, and it's it's faith. Even in understanding that the testing and the discipline of the Lord is part of his heart, right? And I think that has to be part of the message, right? That has to be part of the understanding of the Asian American experience, the Korean diaspora, however you want to put it, is that there's been great suffering, you know, for our people. Like, you know, I'm, I'm Korean, I'm, I'm Korean, uh, and I know you're Korean as well. Um, I mean, we went from different kingdoms conquering Korea, you know, one after another, century after century, Japanese imperialism, and then, you know, parents moving here after Korean War and having to restart lives for themselves. There's that, if we under, if we look at that and say, with the eyes of faith, understanding that, the Lord says this, He says, and I did not let the, the soles of your sandals wear out, and you never lacked food. And He, he talks about it as, as, a, as He is as a father. And that's how, you know, as shepherds, leaders, we have to be able to interpret our experience because without that faith, we don't we don't get to cross over into the promised land. We don't. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the main test is will they have faith or will they have unbelief? And I think part of that unbelief, you know, and, and you and I have been talking about this, is that uh, 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 unbelief and a lack of faith in God, it reveals a, a you know, a, a more of a sense of fatherlessness, of, of a lack of faith and trust in the heart of God, that that this journey is part of his process to get us to our destiny. Um, and if we interpret our history as 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 simply victims, um, uh, 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 as 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 simply a list of things that have happened to our people and sufferings, and and then become embittered and offended. Uh, at people, which ultimately shows that we are becoming embittered against God. Now, people don't make that connection, but it's it's all there. If right. you're that bitterness against people, it turns into bitterness towards God. If we interpret it that way, and as leaders, I know leaders who are interpreting it that way. You know, they're bringing up all the last 200 years of Asian American history and all the different oppression and all those kinds of things. Those are true, but but we have to also understand what is God doing here, uh, 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 and and where is He leading us to. Um, right. And that understanding of God as a father, of faith in that process, I think is ultimately the difference between uh, that, that kingdom mindset as, as a son and daughter of God versus a, 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 a more of what I would say a Marxist narrative that has, that has now swept into the church as well. It's, it's really 
you know, like we were talking about fatherlessness, uh, I think has to do with a lot of it, bitterness and offense, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah. Dave, I'm going to say some things that I think are, are pretty unpopular, but, you know, th- that's what this thing is for. <laughs> You're right, right. Um, you know, I tend to think that when we look at the history of slavery in America, um, you know, we, we all understand that slavery was an evil system. We're thankful for the abolition movement of the 19th centuries and for the Christians that rose up against it. Um, and yet at the same time, when I look at that period, I tend to think um, that those slaves who came to North America were the most blessed, right, out of all the slaves that were exported from Africa, right? And when we look at um, the slave trade, you know, something like it was something like 95% of the slaves from Africa um, did not go to North America. They went, many of them went to the Ottoman Empire, many of them went to South America. Um, the ones that went to North America obviously were subjected to um, terrible treatment, but they were also given the gospel, right, in a way that was very potent. What we see in the, um, in the slave culture in North America is we see this incredible faith that arises, right, this incredible legacy of faith. And, and you know, the, the black church in America today is the direct descendants of this culture of faith that was really birthed during this during slavery in the midst of slavery i was singing um this song in my quiet time a couple days ago i remember it's like an old song um and it's called give thanks and the chorus is let the weak say i'm strong let the poor say i am rich because of what the lord has done and there's this there's this understanding in the kingdom that hey i might be poor I might be, um, you know, I might be enslaved. I might be oppressed by worldly systems. But because I have Christ, I'm rich and I'm strong and I'm free and I'm a co-heir with him. And my identity is not found in the systems of this world any longer. My identity and my citizenship is in heaven. And I look back at, you know, um, these slaves who met Jesus and had this incredible culture of praise that was established in the midst of slavery. And I tend to think that when we get to heaven, David, I feel like many of the greatest heroes of America's past will be slaves who endured such incredible oppression, but were so thankful, right? Because they came to know Jesus through this experience of slavery. And the reason why I bring that up brothers, because I feel like, you know, all the things that you mentioned are true, okay? Japanese internment camps, railroad stuff with the Chinese in America, there has been persecution against Asians in America's past. But there's also the truth that we are so incredibly blessed as a people group. I mean, I say you go, you know, if you go to any University of California here, you know, on the coast, the West Coast here, I mean, if you look at the the population of the Christian body on these campuses, it's mostly Asian. It's dominated by Asians, right? And mm-hmm. I, when you look at um, median incomes in America, okay, the highest median income is Asian Americans, right? When you look at rates of divorce, the lowest rates of divorce are Asian Americans in America, okay? And I, and I understand there are, there are distinctions between different Asian groups. But all I'm saying is that in the midst of these 
discriminations that are real and these tragedies that have happened in our past, I just can't help it when I look at it. I'm like, God, you've blessed us so incredibly. As a Korean, I say, look, two generations ago, we were among the poorest peoples on the face of the earth. Yep. And at two generations now, we're one of the richest peoples right, on the face of the earth. We are so incredibly blessed, and none of that disqualifies, none of that, you know, means that the hardships aren't real. The hardships are very real. But there is this thing that I feel like we are called as believers primarily to say, hey, even if we've gone through these hardships and these oppressions, we're so incredibly blessed. And I feel like that message of us being blessed because of Christ and what he's done despite all of these sufferings and trials and afflictions, I feel like that message is being watered down by many leaders and they're trying to emphasize all of the oppressions over our blessings in Christ. And that's what I'm really concerned about because I feel like our message has to be, if any man is in Christ, he is greater than, in, than, than a worldly king. Right? If any right, man is right. in Christ, we're far more blessed even if even if we're a slave in this life. If we have Christ, we're more blessed. And that's my concern with all of this talk of oppression and rising racism. I'm like we cannot start giving into the belief that we are somehow cursed, especially this bothers me when we're talking about Christians, right? Christian leaders in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think, um, you know, that's that's one of those things that you know theologically we call providence. Now, I mean, people may have different definitions on on providence, um, but it's you know I, I look at Genesis forty nine and fifty when Joseph says, "Well, you meant for evil; the Lord meant it for good." Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a reality that Joseph's imprisonment was the salvation of Israel. Um, you know. Uh, and, and who is this God who who tells Abraham that his descendants um, will be slaves to Egypt for 430 years, right? Uh, 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 this is in the Bible, um, and, and this is part of God's process, and we can't, you know, be offended by it um, um, because, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of things here, right? The Lord thinks generationally, not just moment. I mean, we're right now, everything is now, 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 justice now, justice now, justice now, and I, I do think... You know, real justice is immediate. You know, as, as an ethical principle. Principle, but the Lord oftentimes takes generations to unfold His purposes. Um, right. I remember I was listening. Uh, I was in a meeting with a group of uh, leaders, uh, and and a number of them were African American leaders. Um, and I don't share their names because I I don't feel like uh, I'm I'm going to paraphrase what they said. I don't know if they'll you know would endorse my paraphrase so to speak, but. You could hear a pin drop when they were talking about this. They were talking about one of them. One of them was speaking about slavery, and and what that you know obviously how chattel slavery was a wicked institution. And to your point, um, I think people do not uh, uh, fully understand the historic slave trade. In that, most of the slaves in the African slaves during that time period went to the you know uh, Arabic. Lands, right? Ottoman Empire and others, um, and that was probably one of the worst places for a slave to go. Even to this day, uh, 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 people do not know this, but even to this day, there are African slaves uh, uh, in in the Middle East today. Um, uh, that I mean, that's a that's a shocking realization to be at, uh, and 
And, and obviously, I'm not saying that to excuse any other slavery in other parts of the world. You know, uh, chattel slavery was a wicked institution. Um, but so this leader, one of the leaders was talking about how that period produced a sound of worship. It, 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 it produced an anointing uh, 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 in the providence of God. You know, in the in the storyline of God, that's so much bigger than one generation. We're talking about 10, 15 generations of slavery, right? On on even American soil, and he was addressing all that and the and the historic injustices, the institution of slavery that was horrible. But that produced even Jim Crow, right? That era um, produced a sound that today. Even today, I believe the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. That sound is shaking the earth. I mean, this leader mentioned the number one consumer of hip-hop is white suburban teenagers. right? This sound is literally shaking the whole earth. And even that sound in worship that you talked about, you know, uh, 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 there is an anointing on, on, on black voices. There's an anointing on black preachers and black worship leaders. Part of that is... is 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 I do believe that 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 is part of how anointing flows, right? Yes, uh, anointing absolutely. flows out of crushing. Um, and going back to the Asian American thing, I I, I hear a lot of uh, a, a leaders uh, talking about how. And and by the way, uh, for anyone listening to this to this uh, podcast or watching this video, uh, um, again, you know, I don't I don't speak on behalf of African American leaders, I, but I, this is I I do remember being in that meeting and you could hear a pin drop. And this man literally prefaced it by saying, what I am about to share will 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 make me the target of assassinations uh, 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 from many different groups, black groups included, right? But he was talking about his view of the providence of God to re re mm -hmm. weave a redemptive storyline. Will Ford, he, Will Ford wasn't the, the man who said this, but he said this. He said, are you going to be part of the pain or are you going to be part of the redemption? There's right. two storylines, pain and redemption. Um and, and I think that those are two kingdom things. You can be a part of the pain or you can be a part of the redemption. Um, but anyways, this I've heard a lot about things about Han, right? And so Han is a lot of different definitions. It's a Korean phrase for this corporate pain, uh, corporate rage, uh, uh, corporate suffering. I heard an incredible message. Um, it was actually preached. Uh, uh, in con it, was a, it was a Korean pastor and Lou, who's a white man, were, were preaching together, ministering together. And here's what... Han did in the 70s and 80s in Korea's is that pain became a prayer and that prayer became a prayer movement that to this day is what has been one of the historically greatest prayer movements on the face of the earth because there is a generation it's in Exodus Exodus chapter 3 and the groanings and the cries of the children of Israel rose up to God and God remembered his covenants with Abraham Isaac and Jacob that when that pain actually becomes a prayer it it, it enacts the prophecy right and and that's what our generation is missing and I believe any spiritual leader who's Asian who's not uh, uh, speaking into into this, we're actually going to miss our destiny, right? That that pain has to become a prayer. That Han has to become a groan, right? Before the Lord, not not even. And I and I believe we should stand up when there's injustice. I believe when there's acts that we see that are not right, we should stand up as believers. We should be the first to do so. But first and foremost, there has to be a place where that pain is is it becomes a groaning before the God of heaven. And God remembers his covenants and he begins to enact his promises. And that's what we need right now more than anything is a people with a vision for God's promises and understanding 
that 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 bitterness and rehearsing of pain and it, it never becomes a prayer before God it never becomes a groan before God you can't enter the promised land that way and I believe right now that is so important for Asian Americans to understand that Han is a reality that pain is real but the way that it becomes enacted the way that prophecy and promise become enacted is when we take that in, in, into prayer before the Lord and I, and I really feel like you know uh, you, you and I have talked about lament before and I'm sure we're going to go into it more there is a place for biblical lament uh, 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 there is a place for that, uh, uh, but the we will miss it. And I'm not trying to point fingers here, but we will miss it if our lament is only before men uh, uh, or only done with carnal means and not before God. Uh, 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 we will miss it. Uh, 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 we will. You know, uh, uh, it's the difference between grumbling and complaining. And, and intercession. Uh, and they're two completely different things. It's a heart posture uh, and, and whatnot. Right. So anyways, right. I'm, I'm no, passionate about this. No, it's yeah. great. Yeah, this idea, uh, this is part of the, 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 the difference here. Okay, there's a worldly response to these types of pains, and then there's a godly response. The godly response has to be, is characterized by faith. Our justice, we don't seek justice from the world. The world can't give true justice, right? Mm -hmm. We seek our justice from the Lord, that whatever is stolen from us, he will restore, right? Whatever was taken from us, he will restore. That if we bear unjust sufferings for the sake of Christ, right, then we will be commendable in the eyes of God. Okay, right. and the, the truth is what that means is that in the short term, you suffer, okay? That's what yeah. it means. In the short term, we suffer. We don't expect that there's going to be an immediate response, an immediate um, salvation in the sense that we're going to be treated perfectly, equitably, or or anything. The, the, the truth is no people group can expect that. No person can expect that in this life. Our hope right. is that there is a judge in heaven that is perfect and that he will bring perfect justice, that he will bring full redemption, that no faith goes unrewarded. And this has to be part of the response here is we're talking about how do we deal with tragedies and systems of injustice and things like that. I just want to say there is a hope. There's a real hope. And that we've got to put that hope in the Lord, and what we can't allow is we can't allow it to be a spirit of grumbling. David, everything I'm hearing you saying is exactly how I feel, brother, and uh, the, I think the message that I want to trumpet here is, okay, what is the hope that we're to fixate on? How are we to seek after that hope? I want to share a quote that you shared on your Facebook wall. This is from Lou Engel. He said, yeah. well, you said this on your Facebook wall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you respond to this. He said, for years, Lou has been prophesying to me and others that the real reason that God brought the Asian families over to America was not for the American dream, but that their spiritual fire and prayer and fasting grace would be the last stand against moral decay in the nation. I want to comment on that real quick, and I want to I hear you. Um, yeah. Brother, I, I, feel, I feel this so strongly, man. Like... It is a counterfeit. It is a counterfeit. I've been preaching, you know, to younger Korean Korean Americans primarily for the past seven years or so, and I've been saying, look, it is a counterfeit. This idea that your parents are going to come to America so that you can live the American dream. 
Okay, there's a deeper right. dream than the American dream, right? And that is right. a counterfeit of God's true calling on our lives. We're not to seek after the 2.3 kids and to be a doctor, engineer, lawyer, and that's it. And I feel in this generation, what God has done is that those who have idolized those things, he has given over to that thing. And I'll say that I think it's a huge reason why he has given over large portions of the Korean community to the Marxism that is so influential in the universities, right? Because we esteem the universities to provide for us. We esteem these things, and I feel like there's a sense in which God has given us over to that. But those who understand the true calling for what God has for us, the inheritance of our forefathers. David, I want to say God has been speaking to me about this for years now, this idea right. that we are to long for the inheritance, the spiritual inheritance of our forefathers, that we are not to despise it like Esau and trade it for a bowl of stew. And I feel like that's largely what we have done. The things of value that have been passed down through our spiritual generations. What Look, these are things like prayer. Morning prayer, I've said, is the lifeblood of the Korean church. And forgive me, I know right. this is becoming very Korean-centric, but you, know, you and I are Korean. But it's larger than that, right? Right. The spiritual inheritance of our forefathers are the wisdom, the true wisdom that they have passed down, the true anointings that they have cultivated from their times of suffering and their faith-filled response to that. And the those who would receive the inheritance are those that carry that longing, that carry that passion into the next generation. And this is my this is my heart. I just feel like the one thing we can't do as Korean American leaders is allow our value for prayer to die. We cannot right. allow that to die. We can't say, hey, we want to be like these other churches. We want to have great buffets and great fellowship and professional churches and all this kind of stuff and lose the very heart for prayer and for mission that was passed down through our spiritual forefathers. And I tend to think right now, we are in a war right now for whether we will receive the inheritance from our forefathers right. or whether we will despise it. And I feel like that's what this Marxism thing is. Yeah, um, I agree. I think here's where I, I, um, I love I love that what what Lou said in reminding uh, us all of that. I, I believe it with all my heart. Right, um, there is a special, uh, there has been I should say a special grace and anointing, even on uh, Korean uh, 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 immigrants to Korea in terms of preserving their culture of prayer. Um, at least for the older generations, uh, you look at even Taiwanese believers. You know the Formosan churches. Um, extremely vibrant churches in America. The call Lu was birthed out of a Taiwanese church in America. It was a revival that came to a group of uh, a Taiwanese youth group, right? Uh, and that's how Rock the Nations and the call was started. Yeah. Uh, you look at the influence of, 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 uh, of Chinese uh, uh, missionaries and missions endeavors and how that has impacted, you know, American believers, right? Uh, I mean, the, the influence, you know, from the, from the East, from Asia, so tremendous, India. Uh, 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 I mean, I could just go on and on, you know, about all these moves of God and 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 and, and things. Um, and I think, you know, where where we're at right now, it, it really is a crossroads, so to speak. You know, uh, and 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 honestly, you know, on one hand, I, I hope that all you know second generation Korean Americans will enter into it. Uh, and but you know, the Bible says, uh, you know, many are called, few are chosen, and. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping by the grace of God that my heart will be postured in a way, the way that I could receive that inheritance as well. Right. 
Um, but, you know, again, it's, it is up to each generation to contend for the wells of their fathers, so to speak, right? Uh, 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 to, to, to go back, you know, the, the story of the Old Testament is Abraham builds altars and his sons return to those altars and renew covenant with God. That's, that's how Old Testament church worked, right? Uh, the fathers make altars and descendants return to these altars that have been built where there's been great victories in God, great provision in God, great promises from God, and they renew their vows before God. And this is a time more than anything for us as, as a people group to return to the altars that our forefathers have made. They have made mistakes. The Korean church is not free of flaws. You know, uh, 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 there have been mistakes made along the way. There has been things that have can been done incredibly better. Uh, but part of an inheritance is understanding the God who made those promises, not the failures of our forefathers. Right. And, 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 and I think it's in, in the book of Psalms, it says, Oh, uh, um, God be with us as you with our as you were with our fathers. Never leave us nor forsake us. That's one of my favorite verses. You know, it's on Charles Finney's tombstone, right? Uh, um, it, it's such an epic reality to think that in the you you mentioned this in the fifties, Korea was the poorest nation on the face of the earth. From the but the UN released a, a report that Korea, South Korea, was the poorest nation in the face on the face of the world. Out of that poverty, a pre- Korea didn't even have a strong Christian presence. That was North Korea. Pyongyang was the city of a thousand churches, right? The Jerusalem of the East. South Korea didn't even have a massive Christian presence. But in the in that poverty, you see a prayer movement rise up. And within two decades, you know, it's something like 50% of all of South Korea is professing Christian. I think it's 90% of Seoul, the northern part of South Korea, is, is 90% identifying as Christians. It was. This is our inheritance. This, there's never been a revival that was that has come at that level tied to economic prosperity, where God has literally taken the poorest nation in the world, the smallest group. I did not choose you because you were great, but because you were small, and and elevate them to top ten economy in the whole world. That's it's unheard of, you know. But but Wesley says this. John Wesley said this, you know, a couple hundred years ago. He said the the blessing of the gospel is that when a nation receives the gospel, God gives them prosperity. But the curse of the gospel is that in their prosperity, their descendants forget God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we have to be aware of that. But going back to the original point, you know, as spiritual leaders, we have to be uh, like Moses's, like Joshua's and Caleb's, who have a different spirit. Right? Yeah. We can focus on all the things that we used to have, all the things that we should have, all the things that we feel like we deserve, you know, all these things. Or you can be possessed by a spiritual vision of the promised land. Yeah. And then at that point, I bet Joshua and Caleb could have been offended when God tells them that no one's going to, you're not going to enter for another 40 years. I mean, if you told Asian Americans today for another 40 years, you will be severely oppressed and put in the wilderness. We can we handle it? You know, can any can anyone handle it? You know, yeah. um, and yet you see Joshua and Caleb who 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 are so possessed with a vision that they say it's it's better for me to go through the wilderness again for forty years because I know what's coming than to die in the wilderness and grumbling and unbelief. You know, and and that's that's what spiritual leadership I feel like has to be men and women who are possessed singularly by what God is going to do. 
with Asian Americans. I believe he's going to use Asian Americans to turn this nation back to God. I believe we'll see the greatest prayer movements in the history of the Korean people and the Asian people. I believe we'll see the greatest missions movement. The next great missions movement will come out of the Asian nations. That's, that is, you know, what most miss, missiologists predict, right? Uh, uh, that, that the earth has yet to see the Chinese missions movement, the Indian missions movement, you know, has seen measures of the Korean missions movement, Singapore, I mean, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, uh, Cambodia. The world has yet to see the missions movement that's going to come out of Asia. And we can't, we can't shortcut the process of faith. Yeah, it's great, man. You know, I think um, one thing that I felt really burdened by um, as I've been praying into some of these issues I've, I felt really burdened that um, there is an inheritance on our Asian side, um, but we're also Asian Americans. There's also a her- inheritance on our American side. And I look, the nature of this um, Marxist you know agenda is really to cast um, aspersion right on our forefathers. It's really to point out right. all of their flaws, right and to exaggerate them. And, you know, and that's what so much of this, you know, social justice woke movement is. It's literally just pointing to white supremacy. Can you find the white supremacy in every, you know, leader, right? Tear down every statue of a white guy because there was some white supremacy in them. I really feel like one of the the most needed things is for minorities to rise up and to honor our white forefathers right and i say that seriously our white forefathers right because this is part of the inheritance of being an american is that we can point back to our white forefathers who we may not share direct dna with but we have we've come into their inheritance right that's that's this is the the glory of what it means to be an american is that i truly do belong right even if i'm a minority Abraham Lincoln is my forefather, right? Right. George Washington is my forefather, and I'm refusing to come into agreement with an accusation that said that they were wholly evil or unrighteous. No, I'm going to honor, I'm going to cover their nakedness, their spiritual nakedness. I'm going to say, hey, I'm not making the argument that they're perfect, okay? We're not whitewashing their sins. Okay, we're going to be honest about their sins. But what we're going to do is we're going to honor them that in their historic context, to have the faith that they did, right, to have the righteousness that they did in their historic context was amazing, right? This idea that if we just plopped you back in the 18th century and you would, like, hate slavery, like, give me a break, right? Give me a break, woke 21st century, you know, minority, if we plopped you back in the 18th century, you would take on the values of the culture that surrounds you, like all of us do, right? And I just want to say, I just feel like there is a calling for minority Christian leaders in this generation to honor our white forefathers and say, look, as, as a Korean, I'm half, I know, so I'm a little weird, but as a Korean, we would not be Christian if it was not for these white missionaries who came and evangelized our nation and along with many other nations of the earth, okay? And to be clear, we all understand there were evil aspects of colonialism, okay? There were oppressive aspects, but 
there were so many wonderful things, right? There were so many wonderful things. And I just want to lovingly challenge those who are Asian that we would stand and say, hey, we're not going to come into agreement with this chorus condemning all of our white forefathers. No, we're going to say, hey, no, we love them. We honor them. We were, we've been so blessed because of these men and women in our nation's past. And we're not we're not othering them. We're not saying, oh, yeah, those were the white forefathers. We're saying, no, these were our forefathers. We are full Americans. And a large part of that is because of the battles that they won, right? The battles that they won to fight for greater inclusiveness. And again, I'm not trying to say we should only honor white forefathers. All of our forefathers, okay? I consider Martin Luther King Jr. my forefather as an American, right? I can I consider many of these heroes that these are our forefathers as Americans. Yeah, you gotta. We have a saying in our movement: you gotta know your roots so you can grow your shoots. Uh, the Bible says, right, in the, in the before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send the spirit of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to their children, so that I will not decree or destroy the land of the decree of utter destruction. What that means is that the only way to save a nation at its last gasp is for children to rise up and honor their fathers. And, I mean, this is a pretty, you know, we, we flesh out this teaching a lot in our movement, um, but, you know, lose words. It's not kids playing baseball with their dads who they haven't talked to in 10 years. It's a generation turning their hearts to the passions and the and the prayers of their forefathers, right? right? That's that's what that means. And, and I think part of the Marxist narrative and, and, uh, and even just the narrative that's going on today is to break that down, whether it's the nuclear family, uh, whether it's historical generational families, is to break that down. I've, I've said it for years. Marxism uh, can reveal and point out some things, you know, um, and I don't, doubt, I don't doubt that or deny that, but it can never heal. It always divides and it always destroys. Uh, that's not just his track record. It's embedded within its very ideology. Right. Um, and, and to even take this further, and I'll, I'll come back to America, but if you're looking at this is – this idea that Christianity is a white man's religion uh, or, or the religion of the powerful is, is such a silly idea to me. Uh, you're, you start in, in Jerusalem. Christianity is a Jewish sect. Right. You know, a persecuted Jewish sect. Right? And, 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 and that's, that's, that's the cradle of, 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 of Christianity there. And then it goes to the Gentiles. You know, uh, 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 which are lower than the Jews in the eyes of the Jews at that time. I mean, uh, 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 in that understanding, and then it goes from there, and it goes to 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 Rome, right? And and it goes to Rome, uh, uh, and there's a brief amount of you know uh, uh, of 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 I would say maybe Christianity and power, or however you want to say it, and then immediately the center of Christianity goes to France and Germany. Which are barbarian nations. When the Romans, when Paul says to the barbarian, he's not talking about like some random tribe somewhere. He's talking about French people and German people, <laughs> right? Uh, it, it, Gaul uh, 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 and and the Germanic tribes, right? Those that was French, French, France, France and Germany. You know, it, it, the gospel is constantly moving from right. places of power to places of weakness. That's just the way God works. It, right. It's never been like this white man's religion. And then it goes from Europe to America. And America is the backwater of Europe. You know, it's, yep. you know, uh, 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 it, that's really what it is in many ways. And then all of a sudden it finds a, a nesting place in, in America and then this export to the world. And now you could say, honestly, that, that many of the centers of Christianity are – 
are, are, are around the whole world, right? Uh, and, and they would actually look at America and be like, you guys have gone crazy theologically. <laughs> I remember seeing the United Methodist vote on, on gay marriage and, and all the global United Methodists voted out the Americans. You know, it, yeah. it, it, was, it was epic. Um, <laughs> point being is, is, is there, that is a false narrative of this Christianity being this white man's religion right. uh, uh, and, 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 and not being able to understand how Christianity has flowed. God... God's ways are not above our ways. He used the oppressed and he's used the oppressor. If you want to use those terms, mm-hmm. he's used both, right? He raises up kings and he brings them down. It offends us. He used Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he used uh, the Babylonian empire for his purposes. He says, I have raised you up for this purpose. He's used Egypt for his purposes. This is the God who rules over the nations of the earth and we can't be offended at his ways. Uh, if we're offended at his ways, then then our hearts are going to grow cold. Uh, but bringing it back to America, there is a unique history in America, you know, a, a unique progress of, 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 of Judeo-Christian values that took root at the foundation of our nation, uh, 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 along with other ideas that began to birth this nation that, that we're still growing into. What is this idea of America, this more perfect union? Uh, uh, we're growing into it, you know, and and what people, you know, I think they don't understand is that process. And if you can't honor that, if you can't honor the journey that our nation has been on, then we will sever ourselves uh, uh, from the root. Uh, and I think I said this, you know, a couple podcasts ago with you, that the, one of the primary flaws of the Marxist kind of worldview is its eschatology. It's a utopian eschatology. It promises deliverance and perfection that there's gonna come a time if you just vote in the right people if just the right people have power right. uh, whether it's the uh, uh, proletariat the working class uh, or or now it's the people of color if, if they just occupy places of power we're gonna enter into utopia this is just veritably not true right you know and if and and I'll, and I'll say something to what you what we started off with in terms of of justice, of, of God being the judge. I think that's our foundation and that's our hope. But what, you know, what we're commanded to do as believers is to be merciful. That doesn't mean we don't keep people accountable. That doesn't mean we don't take action when action needs to be taken. But mercy is supposed to be our our posture. And, and that is incredibly absent from today's conversation, you know. And without mercy and it only being retribution without forgiveness, it, it it will never end with just the white supremacist narrative. Injustices go back, way back. You know, I'm just waiting for the moment when Japan and is going to have to, they're going to have to deal with the consequences with China and Korea, right? It, it, I mean, these are things that are coming up now. I mean, it, it, it never ends. That that cycle will never end. Um, um, it, on this side of eternity, we're supposed to, Give mercy and show mercy to receive mercy. Right. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I think the last thing I'd like to explore with you is um, what I've seen consistently is I feel like the Marxist narrative, it exploits father wounds. I feel like it exploits father wounds. And to be clear, it's not just fathers, right? It exploits parental wounds. Parental wounds are like a huge opening right where this ideology of grievance cuz that of course an ideology of grievance right it's right. hey i i i have been oppressed right and what it does is it trains you to see oppression everywhere well you understand like you can also be trained to see blessing everywhere right those are those right. are cuz all of our lives are filled with aspects of oppression and aspects of blessing 
right? Aspects of oppression and aspects of privilege, if we want to put it. Like, you can find those areas if you look for it. Um, but what happens is when we have unhealed wounds in our hearts, I think very naturally we're, we're susceptible to fixating on all of the negative things. And I've found in my life, I, I teach this to all the students that I disciple, I'd say, hey, look, self-pity is one of the greatest demonic traps that you can fall into. Self-pity is such an incredible demonic trap. It kills your faith. And that's because it's based on a lie. And the lie is that you're more cursed than you right. are blessed, right? That's simply not true, okay? This is fundamentally contrary to the gospel. It's fundamentally contrary because the whole idea of the gospel is that even though we deserve eternal condemnation, in Christ we've been given the gift of eternal life and we can never fully repay the debt to this, right? So this idea that I am looking at all of the negative aspects of my life and coming into agreement with that narrative, that's why it's so dangerous, so demonic. And what I've found consistently is that if we are unhealed, if we have areas that are unhealed from our childhood oftentimes, um, then we become more susceptible to this particular narrative. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this Marxism is so compelling in a context of great fatherlessness. I think the two are linked together, that where you see more fatherlessness, you see a greater susceptibility to this narrative. And, you know, those of us who have done inner healing, we understand that these things are linked, right? If we feel like God has, or excuse me, like our fathers have abandoned us in our lives, then we'll naturally feel like God has abandoned us in our lives, right? We tend to see God in the same way that we see our earthly fathers. And so I just want to say this to our, our younger listeners. It is so important that we honor the commands of Scripture to honor our fathers and our mothers. And I'm speaking directly about our direct father and mother. None of us have perfect parents, okay? There's no such thing as perfect parents. Some of us have been abused in real serious ways. But even still, we are called to forgive our mother and our father, right, for the ways that they've sinned against us, and we're called to honor the ways that they have blessed us. And if all of us... Can, can see from God's perspective, we're all incredibly blessed by our mothers and our fathers, even if we have experienced aspects of trauma, abuse, neglect, abandonment, all of that. And I simply say that because I have just found that the more diligent you are in this area, it really protects your heart against these larger society-wide ideologies that are trying to steal away so much of our blessing and inheritance in this. Because again, it's the same thing. We honor to receive inheritance. Well, the way inheritance gets stolen is when we don't honor, we dishonor our forefathers. And I just feel like that is the agenda. I feel like this is we're playing this out on a society-wide level right now. Right. And uh, I would, you know, Lou, Lou said something recently. And I, I quote Lou a lot. I know he's a white dude. Um, but uh, I, I would say no one has made me more faith-filled and restored a love for Korea like Lou has. And I don't say that in the white savior trope or anything like that. I, I was actually, I mean, I was, I was Korean pride to the core, hurt a lot of people, uh, 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 you know, yeah. did regrettable things to, to Japanese kids in my high school, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I had to repent of it. And I kind of got away from being proud of being Korean just because I, I saw the extent 
of the damage that they can do even in my own soul. I went to Korea with Lou. And I remember praying for Korea with Lou. And I remember it wasn't because he was white. It wasn't even because he was American. It was because he saw Korea the way God saw Korea and the inheritance of the Korean people in prayer and fasting. Mm. Uh, I remember him telling me, I learned how to pray and fast from the Koreans. And, and I began to realize there's a, there's a redemptive purpose of God for, the, for my people. There's a reason I'm Korean, you know. Um, and, and he restored that for me, you know, in a redemptive way, in a holy way, in a God perspective kind of way. And so one of the things he said recently, so I'm just saying that, just yeah. love, love the man. Um, is uh, uh, he said bitterness opens the door to deception. He said this at a Young Leaders Summit that we did recently. Bitterness opens the door to deception. This is incredibly true. You know, uh, uh, it's it's this, I see this trend. Bitterness causes people to question things, question relationships, you know, uh, uh, question authorities, uh, 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 question everything, God, faith, go through a period of de- deconstruction. They're in this period of deconstruction where they're about to, lose their faith, you know, so to speak. And then what's presented to them is a modified, perverse version of Christ- of Marxist Christianity uh, that somehow accommodates their bitterness and lets them feel um, right. uh, 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 secure, quote-unquote, secure in their faith walk. And, and this is a great deception. I believe it's a deception that leads to death. I truly believe that if someone follows the logical path and the spiritual path of Marxist Christianity, they will no longer be a Christian. Uh, they will, uh, uh, they, they, you know, no matter what they think in their hearts or their minds, because uh, 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 the ideological difference is, is too deep. The worldview divide is, is too deep. Um, yes. And you will have to deny the gospel at one point. Uh, yes. And you will have to deny scriptural truths. Um, and to, this is kind of a, yeah, sorry, go ahead. To clarify for our listeners, when you say Marxist Christianity, what I'm hearing is, is you're talking about liberation theology, right? Liberation theology. Yes. Um, and look, the way a lot of young people, I, I've heard this, they talk about black theology versus white theology. We need to understand, usually when people are referring to black theology, they're talking about black liberation theology. Okay. Right. And usually when they're talking about white Christianity, they're talking about the historic faith. Right. You know, if you want to be accurate about like a white supremacy Christianity, that's like the Christianity, not Christianity, but that's like the faith, quote unquote, that slave owners use to justify their treatment of chattel slaves uh, 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 in that period of American history. That is a false perverse version of christianity but if you're talking about the, the the faith handed once and down uh handed once and for all down for all saints you know from jerusalem middle east north africa the you know uh, uh reformation all that 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 is what we understand as evangelical faith that's that's what we understand as that's biblical christianity you know it doesn't matter if it comes from a white dude or a black dude or an asian dude or or a latino uh, uh latino i mean whatever right it, it truth is truth um and so, uh, but kind of going back to what it is, is uh, I wrote, I recently wrote something on this, and I know this is kind of the last topic and we're wrapping up, uh, but I wrote on syncretistic Christianity today. And I talked about how woke Christianity or progressive Christianity or liberal Christianity is actually, uh, or, or wokeism or, 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 or social, the social justice movement today, it actually is a, a false religion. It's not just a false ideology. It is a false religion. And, and I, I don't, I won't go into it right now, um, but spiritual purposes the the the, the uh, fanaticism of its followers uh, it, it displays all the historic definitions of what what a religion is 
And there's been a syncretism or a mixture, an unholy mixture, mixture of this kind of progressive liberation theology uh, 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 and, and Christianity. And, 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 and I feel like a lot of people, and this again goes back to wounding an identity, who I think one of the greatest um, uh, 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 deceptions in the American Christianity is the desire to be accepted. Yeah. By by non Christians, uh, when the when the Bible says the world is going to hate us. Now I don't mean we can have a persecution complex, but I'm just saying that that's one of the great deceptions. And so yeah. now there's this great tension because you have these great causes, these powerful causes. You have a a sense of if if you're not with us, then you're not an ally. If if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. That's the language, right? right. If you don't if you don't use this hashtag, if you're not an anti racist, you're a racist. Right. And, and so there is this push and, and, and what this syncretistic unholy alliance between true biblical Christianity and progressivism and liberalism into this weird, woke uh, Marxist Christianity that's coming for a lot of young believers. It resolves that tension of like, man, I, 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 I if I'm not a part of this, then I'm, I'm a racist, and, but I'm also a, a Christian. Wait, I could have both. You know, and they just bring it together, and there's all these spiritual leaders who are, you know, com- committing that same error. Uh, uh, and I and I and I believe that there needs to be clarity uh, yeah. today. Um, I, I I forgot how we even got on this tangent, um, uh, but I, I do believe there has to be clarity. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 there has to be, you know, truth in the center of it all, um, and great yes. compassion, and great mercy, and great empathy and sympathy. Jesus is a great high priest who sympathizes yes. uh, uh, with us, right? All those are true at the same time. Uh, uh, I think real spiritual leaders are, are those who bring people out of Egypt, yes. not back into it. Right. They bring them out of Babylon and not back into Babylon, right? That's real spiritual leadership, even if it's incredibly unpopular. Right. Um, and, and so, right, come on, yeah. Look, I I just want to say this prophetically. This is I'm something I'm sensing right now. Look. There is an anointing for those who have been fatherless, who have been rejected, who have been abandoned by parents and leaders in their lives, who have been betrayed by authorities, spiritual authorities. Let me tell you, there is an anointing for you. God says that he is a father to the fatherless. I'm speaking prophetically right now, okay? He is a father to the fathers. He draws near to the brokenhearted. And you see this pattern again and again again in Scripture. You see it with Moses, right, where God drew near to him. You see it with David, where he was despised by his parents. You see it with Jacob. And Jacob's the one that I want to focus in on. Jacob was despised. His father favored his older brother Esau. And what you see is this, this spirit of rejection in Jacob's life. But what you see with Jacob is he fixates it on the Lord, right? He puts his hope in God, right? And you see this episode where he wrestles with God for his blessing. And I just want to say that there is this, there is a test right now for all of us who've struggled with rejection. I've struggled with it. I've struggled with aspects of fatherlessness. I've struggled with these things. But there is this test right. where if we will fix our hope on the Lord and say, God, I might have been rejected by others. I might have not had the mentoring and the guidance that I would have wanted, but Father, I want you to be my spiritual father, and I'm going to cling to you with everything in me. I just want to say there is an anointing that God is pouring out on a generation of fatherless 
young people who find him as the heavenly father, God is pouring out a double portion anointing on those who would overcome the temptations for vengeance, the temptations to hold on to rejection, to hold on to grievance, but those who would forgive and cling to the heavenly father and and follow his ways to forgive, just like Joseph had to forgive his brothers, had to forgive his family. I just want to declare there is such an anointing, and I'm just going to say this, I am looking right now for the generation of upcoming minority leaders who would come in an opposite spirit and say, no, I'm not going to come in agreement with this, but I'm going to say I am blessed even though I am poor and despised, rejected, I am the most blessed. I'm going to honor my spiritual forefathers. And I am going to champion the values Amen. of the generation that has gone before me. And I'm going to fight for those principles. And I just feel like this is a huge part. If we're talking about the righteous remnant, God is raising up a righteous remnant in the nation, and I feel like there's a place for minority leaders specifically. There's going to be minority leaders that are going to rise up and champion their spiritual forefathers, some of whom are going to be white, and they're not going to be ashamed of it, but with great boldness, they're going to rise up. And so I just want to speak that right now because I see many young leaders in training right now. Do not despise the hardships, the, the persecution that you have felt. All of this is the process by which God trains leaders in his kingdom. Amen. And I'll just share real briefly to that. I wanted to share earlier, and you reminded me of, of where we were at in terms of what we were talking about in terms of fatherlessness. There's something that Lou was saying, you know, as, you know and still says today, you know, the one uh, 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 who forgives, the one who is wounded the most, has the most spiritual authority if they can forgive. Yeah. The one who was wounded the most can have the most spiritual authority if they forgive. When Jesus was on the cross, abandoned by his friends and 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 and, and forsaken in, in in a in a theological perspective of atonement, uh, 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 as he took on the sins of the world by even his own father, not in an eternal sense, but you know, in a, in a sense of atonement. Um, I, I do have to clarify that. <laughs> but when he was on, on the cross, betrayed by his friends, crucif uh, 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 sentenced by the world, crucified, and taking on the sins of the world and the wrath of God, our own punishment, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not, what, they do not know what they do. Right. And in that moment, he bound principalities and powers. You know, that that's... If there's anything that can be more clear... From the Bible of how we're supposed to live, it's the cross. It's choosing the cross every single time, not in a way of self-pity and just rolling over and dying, but understanding that the cross and forgiveness is the greatest channel and avenue for spiritual power in the world, in the universe. There's nothing like it. The cross bound principalities and powers, having disarmed them. He triumphed over them through the victory of the cross, Colossians. This is part of our process, and this is part of how we step into greater maturity as sons. Right. You know, this part of sonship and maturity is coming into security and identity in God. And, that, and, and that's what we need to understand is, is that even if the world rejects us, we'll always be accepted by God. But maturity and sonship is also choosing the cross, right? And and, and that's what releases spiritual power into the earth. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with, with that prophecy. I feel a witness to it. Um, 
that there's going to be those who are wounded the most. And, and there are those with untold tales of woundedness, you know, not just the typical Asian American, you know, my parents never said, I love you, you know, I'm, or they never said, I'm proud of you kind of woundedness, but deep, even abusive woundedness. If, if, if I believe it, I believe it's a biblical principle that you can have actually more spiritual authority than anyone in the earth. If you choose to forgive, that is the model of Jesus. Um, that's, that's the promise of God, you know, right. absolutely, man. David, I want to say thanks for coming on, man. Love your heart. Love what you're love doing you, over there. I really appreciate your perspective. I think, um, I, look, I, I said to my friend the other day, I said, I think I think David Kim has the best stuff on social media right now. I said, you need to follow David Kim. <laughs> you, know, you don't, you don't have words, a man. you don't have a page, but you just, you know, friend request him. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really appreciate, you know, all the stuff that you're writing on social media. I think uh, you're being a voice for a lot of people. So thanks for what you're doing, man. Yeah, love you, and uh, we're gonna see the we're gonna see the great inheritance together. That's where we're going. Come on, brother. That's where we're going. Come Amen. On.